0: This is what the Lord says, Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Hello, friends, and welcome back. Before we get into the topic at hand, which is to look at how Jesus commended a man who cheated his boss like to mention something that I heard Elizabeth Elliott say recently in a recording I was listening to. She said, the result of obedience is peace. If you've been listening to my podcasts for a while, you'll know why that stood out to me. As we are obedient, then we are on a rock. It's not enough just to know what Jesus said. We really need to do it. And what I like about how she put that is the result of obedience is peace. There is a result to our being obedient, and that is peace. Even when there are storms around us and things are turbulent and chaotic and painful, and even when we are suffering, we can still have peace because we're on a firm foundation. Peace because of our obedience. So I really encourage you, and I ask that you'll pray for me, that I will be obedient I pray that you will be obedient. What the Lord wants is people who abide in him and rest in him and then let his power flow through them, his life be expressed through them in obedience. And our part is to allow that to happen, to let him take his place. The life flows in the doing of it. We have to persevere in our life and our doctrine. We have to know the truth, believe the truth, put our faith in the truth, and then let that truth have its full effect in us. So, amen. The result of obedience is peace. So, now we will look at the theme for today's talk, which, as I said, is a look at what Jesus had to say and how he commended a man who cheated his boss. And this was a scripture that confounded me for a long time, And then finally, a few years ago, I think I finally cracked the code. I heard a teacher talking about it, and I think I now have the key that unlocks the meaning of this text and a couple of others in the book of Luke that talk about people in this world who are commended for the way they act and how that relates to eternity. The other morning, we were doing our family Bible reading, and we came to Luke chapter 16. And Luke chapter 16 is actually one of my favorite Chapters in the Bible. It covers a lot of different ground. And I encourage you to read all of it. It's really great. I'll talk more about it later when I talk about, and I promise this is going to happen, when I talk about what happens between death and resurrection, because that's also in Luke chapter 16. There's a little window of what that'll be like for us. And before I go any further, I do want to mention something that I've been thinking about after reading through Luke with the family. I am so thankful to Luke. And for his diligence and perseverance, you know, he was a doctor, he's a physician, and he traveled much with Paul on many of those journeys. And he took the time to research all that he had heard, and he interviewed people, I'm sure. And just think of the notes that he took, and then the time it took to compile all of that information into the book of Luke and also in the book of Acts. I am so thankful that he did that. He took that time. And when you read through the book of Luke and through the book of Acts, think of who he interviewed. All this information that he has, all of these different quotes that he has, and the things that were happening that he wouldn't have been there for, and the only place he could have got it was by interviewing people who were there. It's really wonderful. And it's an encouragement to me that I need to do what the Lord calls me to do, to put my hand to the plow and not look back, to be involved in kingdom work And hopefully, it will bear fruit in the lives of others. And certainly, Luke, giving so much time to this, has borne fruit in billions of hearts. So, that's an encouragement to us. Luke was a man just like us. He's a person who was called by the Lord and then empowered by the Lord and given grace by the Lord. And the Lord didn't waste any of Luke's training because, as a doctor, he would have been very thorough, very thoughtful. So, whatever you've been doing through the days of your life up to this point, God will use the lessons that you've learned and the skills that He's given you to do His work so that other people will be blessed. And in the doing of it, you also are going to be really blessed. So, let's look at Luke chapter 16. And this is a story that may confuse or confound some of my listeners like I said, it confused me a little bit. I wasn't quite sure what it meant. I would read it and think there must be truth there, but I didn't quite get it. But now I think I do, and hopefully I can help you understand at least my understanding of it. (laughs) Starting in Luke chapter 16, Jesus told his disciples, this is a story that is familiar, I think, to many of us. There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and he asked him, what is this I hear about you? give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. Okay, first, let's just stop there after that first couple of verses. This man is getting fired. You cannot be my manager any longer. Verse three, the manager said to himself, well, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? Eight hundred gallons of olive oil, he replied. And the manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it four hundred. Then he asked the second, How much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, Take your bill and make it eight hundred. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly, For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. So remember, everything that I was reading there is something that Jesus said. In verse 8, the master commended or praised the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are people of the light. Well, first off, I understand how the master commended or praised that dishonest manager. I can imagine the master saying, boy, the way you handled that was pretty sharp. You're still fired, but I'm impressed at how sneaky you are, because the master was probably pretty sneaky. He was like, wow, that's a good job. Well done. I wouldn't have thought of that. That was good. You're fired, but that was pretty sharp. But wait a second. It seems like Jesus is holding this dishonest manager up as an example for us. Is he? From what we've read so far, his lesson seems to be, cheat your boss. The master commended or praised that dishonest manager, and that seems to be what Jesus is saying. Well, before we go a little deeper into that and see if Jesus really is saying that we should cheat our bosses, I want to look at a couple of words that are here. And of course, I'm not a Greek scholar at all, but I did look these things up just as you can. And the word for shrewd, that's translated as shrewd in the NIV. It's translated other ways in other translations of the Bible. That word means prudent or wise, or thoughtful or discreet. The people of this world are more thoughtful, discreet, cautious, having acumen or intelligence. Jesus says the people in this world are more wise, thoughtful, and discreet in dealing with their own kind than are people of the light. That's very interesting that Jesus would say that. There's another word here I want to look at, the word dishonest. And that word translates as unjust, morally wrong uh, in character or in life or in an act, unrighteous, having iniquity. And it's interesting that in the Greek text, the same adjective is used for the dishonest manager and the unrighteous wealth. So, is Jesus saying that the lesson of the story is, cheat your boss and God will praise you? Well, no, of course not. Jesus tells us the lesson in verse nine, use unworldly or unrighteous or dishonest wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now that's the lesson. Jesus says that people in this world will use this ungodly wealth to make a way for themselves in this world Jesus is talking about eternity. He is not talking about using our wealth here on earth to make friends here and be welcomed into temporary dwellings. He turns our eyes towards eternity. He knows that everything on this earth will pass away. He said in other places that we need to store up treasure in heaven. Now, the key to this is to look back in verse 3 and see what that dishonest manager said. Verse four, I'm sorry. He said, I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So the manager is making a place for himself so that he'll be welcomed. He'll use his circumstances now so that he'll be welcomed into other people's houses. Because he's very selfish. He's not strong enough to dig. doesn't want to dig. And he's ashamed to beg. He's very proud. So what he's going to do is use what he has now to prepare a place for him in the future. And the master commended that dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. He did something with what he had to prepare a place for himself. Now, how does this apply to us? This is where I had to think about this. Jesus says that we should use our worldly wealth to gain friends for ourselves, so that when all that worldly wealth is gone, we will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And there's two key words in that sentence. The first is eternal as I've said, but also I underscore the word welcomed, that we will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So I thought through this uh, several years ago, and it was just as I was getting connected in Africa, the work in Uganda and the Democratic Republic of Congo. And this is what I came up with as an example of how this might work. We have people who donate to support the ministry, and I'm involved in managing resources, primarily money, but also our time and and teams that would go and do ministry work. So imagine that I give money, and I have done this to Sam. I've mentioned Sam before. He's a pastor in Uganda. So I send money over to help Sam do an evangelistic outreach. And I've done this, and he's sent pictures back of people being baptized as a result of Sam and a team traveling to other villages and preaching the gospel. So I send money, money that's been given to me, some of my own, to help Sam do the work that he's called to do. And then people, as a result of Sam going, are believing in the Lord and they're being baptized. And when I get to heaven, I can imagine some of those people saying, thank you for sending that money to Sam in Uganda because he preached the gospel to me and I am in heaven as a result. That seems to me to be a pretty good example of using worldly wealth so that I will be welcomed into heaven. And all the donors who have sent money, some of the listeners now have sent money to bless the churches in Africa, to bless the orphans in Russia, And those people who have come to faith or who have been encouraged in their faith are going to welcome us. And we should be willing and knowledgeable enough to welcome others into heaven and say, Boy, thank you so much for giving that money so that I could go on a mission trip, so that I could do what the Lord has called me to do. Matter of fact, there was an older couple, I don't think I've told this story, but before I came to Russia, before I even thought that Russia would even be on my horizon. There was an older couple in our church who prayed and felt that they should pay for me to make a short-term mission trip, a two-week mission trip to Russia, my first trip to Russia. And I can say thank you so much for giving that money so that I could step into the things that God has for me. They've passed away now, and I want to welcome them when I get to heaven and run to them and thank them when I see them again. And another thought comes to mind our wealth can consist of more than money, of course. We are, all of us, talented people. Because God is at work in us, He has given us gifts and talents. We all have experience and different kinds of training, spiritual gifts, natural giftings, and we can use all of that wealth, whatever it is, to help other people do what God is calling them to do or to help people to walk as followers of Jesus to use the time and the talents, the experience, the training, the money, all of those things that we have here on earth, we can use those so that we'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And Jesus continues on just after this in Luke 16 along this theme. He says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Again, Jesus draws contrasts here. First of all, he says, if we can be trusted with just a little, then we can be trusted with more. But if we're dishonest with a little, then we're also going to be dishonest with more. And if we're not trustworthy with worldly wealth, well, who's going to give us true riches? And I think that's Jesus' way, clear way of saying if you're not using the things here on earth for the kingdom, then don't expect to get a lot more in the world to come. If you're not trustworthy right now with the things that you have, then don't expect God to give you true riches. Sounds harsh, but that's what he's saying. So this brings to mind something that I've thought about a lot over the years how the lord wants us to be people of integrity. He wants us to be trustworthy with much. He wants us to be trustworthy with a little. He wants us to handle worldly wealth in a right way, and he wants us to handle true riches in a right way. And he wants us to handle other people's property well with integrity, and he will give us property of our own. Whatever that's going to look like, that's up to him. The fruit of our lives is really up to Him. Our role is to abide in Him and be faithful and be people of integrity. Now, the word integrity comes from the Latin integer, I believe is how it's pronounced. And we also have a, a word that we use in mathematics called integer. An integer is a whole number. And integer, the Latin word, means complete, whole, and intact, or sound and healthy uninjured. So people of integrity are complete. They're not two-faced. They are one, just like the Lord himself is one. Remember the Mishnah in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. God has integrity. And if we want to see a human being who lives with full integrity, we look at Jesus and see how he not only preached the truth, he lived it out. He was the embodiment of the truth of God. And we are to be that way too. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. That's a statement of our being called to be people of integrity. And Jesus says right after that, he says, anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Anything that is not of integrity, of being honest and truthful and faithful comes from the evil one. It's not of the Lord. Jesus just after this in verse 13 of Luke chapter 16 says, no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So, this whole theme is running through this first part of Luke chapter 16: what it is to be a person of integrity, to handle things honestly. And he commends this dishonest manager because he acted wisely and prudently within the context of his sinful world. (laughs) He used what he had to prepare a place for himself. And Jesus says, if people on this earth will do that, Well, the people of the kingdom need to be preparing places for themselves in eternity to store up treasure in heaven, to use the resources that we have now to do eternal work and not just be bound by a limited vision of what we have here on this earth. Now, I had some thoughts about how it is that people can serve God and money, what it means to worship God or to worship money. And I may be repeating myself. I don't remember if I've told this story on this podcast, but the way that I understand that now is a result of my first trip to Africa. I met some pygmy believers. And um one of the pygmy believers was a pastor of a church in a pygmy village, and he had been a priest of a cult. The pygmies are animists. They see spirits everywhere in the forest. And he had been the priest of a cult that was worshiping an anthill. There was a very, very large anthill that appeared in the forest and they thought there must be a God inside that anthill. It had a particular shape that made them think that there was a God at work in this anthill and so they started worshiping the God of the anthill. When he heard the gospel, he responded to the truth of Jesus and now he's a pastor of a church. And I was thinking about pygmies and what I've learned of the pygmies who live out in the bush in the forest And the pygmies worship the forest and the spirits that they think are in the forest because everything that they need for life comes to them from the forest. Their shelter, their food, everything that they need comes from the forest, and so their focus of worship is on the forest. Well, that translates pretty well, I think, to our modern day when we think of money as being the source of all that we need. People think that money is the source of our food, our transportation, our happiness, our health. If we just had money, then we would have all these things that we desire. Money provides us with what we desire and makes us happy. And that's a way to worship money because our focus is on money and our gratitude is toward money. And Jesus says you can't do that and worship God at the same time. It's impossible because, of course, God is the source of everything. He's even the source of money. Remember in the Old Testament, it says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. If he needed anything, he wouldn't ask us for it. And he doesn't need anything because everything is his. And Jesus says we can't worship money and see it as the source of happiness and at the same time say that or actually worship God and give him his rightful place. You can't do it. We're either going to love one and hate the other, or be devoted to this other one and despise the first. Well, that's interesting. If we are going to worship God truly, then we're going to despise money. And in this case, to despise or to hate money means that we do not give it a place of prominence or authority in our lives. Money is pretty far down the list of God's priorities when it comes to kingdom living. God can provide money in the mouth of a fish. He can provide everything that we need very quickly. As a matter of fact, he is providing everything that we need. As a matter of fact, if we think that we're lacking something, then we can ask, but we need to ask with the right motives, as James says, not so that we'll spend things on ourselves, but we'll use whatever he gives us to be a blessing to others and not be selfish with it. So I think that was a long way to state my understanding of verse 13, no servant can serve two masters either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other, you cannot serve both God and money. We can't serve God and serve money. Well, continuing on to verse 14 now. Now, the Pharisees, who loved money, (laughs) heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. Jesus, of course, knows the hearts of these hypocrites, these religious leaders who claim To love God and be obedient to everything that God says, but they actually love money. And he says to them, You cannot serve both God and money. Well, that hit them right where they live because they loved money and they sneered at Jesus. They mocked him. Then Jesus said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. We really need to hear this lesson. For those of us who live in the West, in the cultures that are driven by market forces, what is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. The flow of money in our lives is detestable. Isn't that something? It's a tool that God can use, but it is not a master, it's a servant. And what men highly value. God doesn't value it all. You remember Jesus sat down and he was looking. He put himself where he could see people that were making donations. And a lot of rich people gave out of their wealth. And this poor lady came up and gave all that she had. And Jesus said she gave more than all these other people because she gave all that she had. These other people were giving out of their wealth. It didn't hurt them to give, but it would assuage or comfort their souls. Another story comes to mind. I'll just tell this. And again, I don't think I'm repeating myself. I was at a church service. I won't even say where it was, so I don't give it away too much. But it was a big church, and it seemed to be one of those blowing and going churches with a, a very charismatic pastor. And throughout the church service, there were several opportunities to donate to different ministries in the church which was a different church culture than I'm used to. Most of the churches I go to have just one opportunity to give an offering. But here, several times throughout the service, people were invited to come forward and drop money into a basket, and they would go in full view of the congregation. And there were a lot of people in this meeting. And I was sitting on the front row. I had been invited to speak at the church. I was sitting next to the senior pastor so I could see all that was going on. And every time that there was an offering to be made, The senior pastor would get up and walk down to the basket and put his hand down inside the basket and release something into the basket and return to his seat. He was almost always the first one up there because we were on the first row. Well, I watched closely and several times, if not every time, he went up with an empty hand. He pretended to drop money into the basket. He would have nothing in his hand, though he would appear to be holding something, put his hand down in the basket below the sight of everyone, and then looked like he was releasing money into this basket, but he didn't have anything in his hand. He wasn't giving anything. Boy, that really stood out to me. You know, he was doing that so that the people in his church would have a certain opinion of him, But he was playing a game in front of these people that he was responsible to and responsible for. Now, remember the response of these Pharisees, They mocked Jesus when Jesus confronted them on their love of money. And Jesus said very clearly, what is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. As followers of Jesus, let's keep that close to our hearts, that God's ways are not our ways. The things that he values are not the things that are valued in this earth. People on this earth are pretty shrewd in using what they have here to make a way for themselves here on earth. And God wants us to use all the gifts that he gives us and all the resources that we have to do eternal work, to prepare eternal dwellings, to help others do what God is calling them to do and to live a life of integrity. So until next time, my friends, I do pray that the Lord will continue to reveal His will and His ways to you, because His ways are always good, even though they lead often through suffering. His ways are always good, and they bring peace to the soul. Amen. Jesus said to His disciples, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you for listening, and God bless you all.